In today's episode of High ISO, Rob and I take a break from visiting the Photo Plus Expo in New York City to speak with Nikon ambassador and wedding photographer, Charmi Patel Pena. Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast, where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. Hey guys, we're at Photo Plus Expo with Charmi Patel, Pena, and she is a fundy storyteller, a Magmon ambassador, Nikon ambassador, and Miller's ambassador. And she's here today to talk about a little bit about her photography, and we're gonna ask her some questions about what it's like to be a woman of color in our industry. And she's our token guest today, <laughs> all the guests we have going on. So um, yeah, just have at it. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your beginnings in photography and how you got to where you are now. So I double majored in economics and information technology. Which makes you perfect to be a photographer. No. Right, right. No, no, she's good. I'm so sorry. Good. The, yeah, um, I would pinch on the outside because anytime that mic can scratch against uh, against like a material, it can like have a lot of feedback. So I would just pull, push your shirt together and then, or that. Does that, well, what? Uh, what? Hold Custom. on. All right, got the Is intro. that better? That is better. Okay. Yes. Um, should I start over again? Yeah. Cut that a little bit. Um, okay. So I double majored in economics and information technology in college because I was an overachieving Indian daughter, as I was expected to be. Um, <laughs> you were a baseline achiever. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. That would be a problem. Uh, I was supposed to go to law school. I took the LSATs. I actually wanted to go to med school. My parents talked me out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to go to law school. My dad was like, I'm not paying for law school so that you can be, I wanted to be a speechwriter or a senator. And he's like, corporate law or I'm not paying for law school. I was like, cool, <laughs> then I'm not going to law school. Uh, so, so you had I, so many options. <laughs> I mean, being an overachieving or baseline achieving South Asian will help with that. Yeah. But all of that bored me to tears. So uh, when I got married, my husband gave me a camera and I was completely overwhelmed by this camera. I didn't know how to use it. I just put it in the back of my closet and I was like, I'm going to look for a job. I started looking for a job and I was a stay-at-home wife in the meantime. And I'm like the most annoying stay-at-home wife on the planet because I was bored. Like I'm not really good at doing nothing. I'm not good at like having somebody provide for my life. Mm -hmm. How many (laughs) years ago was that? 14, uh, 13 and a half, 14 years ago at this point. so one day, my husband, completely irritated with my constant, like, come on, stay home, I'm so bored. <laughs> um, he brought me Brian Peterson's Understanding Exposure. And so I took out the camera. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to use this thing as a hobby while I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And then I took pictures of a friend's child, one. And then that picture of my friend's child turned into photos for her friends, who I wasn't going to shoot for free because that was... I, you know, I was an economics major. I did, I did go to school for business, so I'm definitely not doing things for free. Mm-hmm. So I charged those people, and the first time someone wrote me a $300 check, I was like, I'm rich! <laughs> so much it. money! <laughs> so I thought, I'm just going to shoot kids forever. Kids are easy. I can just roll around in the dirt with them. It's going to be great. But then this uh, woman, Kaylin, found me uh, through photos I took of a kid and was like, you're going to shoot my wedding. 
And immediately I was like, I'm definitely not going to shoot your wedding. I don't know what you're thinking. You're crazy. She insisted. I shot her engagement session. I was so excited to edit those photos that I sent them to her that night. And her planner told her she shouldn't hire me for her wedding because anybody who delivers photos the same night is not to be trusted. (laughs) Just so weird. So she fired the planner and she hired me for her wedding. And I shot her wedding and it was published in The Knot. And first wedding ever first, published in the knot. Yeah. Wow, we were batting a thousand already. Just <laughs> <laughs> back in the days before you had to pay to pay to play. Yeah, pay yeah. to play. <laughs> uh, I didn't even submit them. She submitted them, and they were like, "Yes, we mm-hmm. want these." So published in the knot, and then um, and then it just snowballed, and now this is life. How many years ago was that first wedding then? I would say probably eleven or twelve. I should ask Kaylin when her anniversary mm-hmm. is because she probably knows better than me. But maybe like twelve years ago. So that first wedding, and then how long did it transition to like this is now a viable business model? Like how can I? I would say I lost money for only two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have always been really business minded. In that, I never bought all the gear. I rented in the beginning when I didn't make money mm-hmm. because I never wanted to be in debt. Uh, my business was never negative. Not even the first year. But to like really make money where I was paying the bills mm-hmm. probably took two or three years. Um, but until then, I just, I never, I've never, I can probably say I'm a little bit of a gearhead now. Yeah. I love gear and I love technical stuff and I love flashes and I want strobes. I want everything. <laughs> but I've always been really self-restrained where if I can't afford it, I just rent it for when I need it, send it back, and then I'll get it again if I need it again. So... You, I think you had more business acumen in the beginning than you did photography acumen. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. And I feel like I, I, like I think everybody emerging now as a new photographer lacks the business acumen completely. And, and they're only concerned with skills-based learning and how to be a better shooter. Like, do you think those two things went together for you at the same time? Like you were getting a, becoming a better photographer and a better bez, business person you know, on the same trajectory? 100%. Yeah. And I think I, because I had a little bit... I mean, also, I'm probably a hustler in general, (laughs) but sounds that way. I think that because I always had that mindset of like, if I'm spending my time doing something, I want to be rewarded for it with money and never exposure or like, or even things like I only ever bartered once and it failed as all barters do. Um, But, but yeah, I've always had that mindset. So I've always been really careful to make all my decisions, even even investing in workshops. Mm-hmm. I never invested in a workshop where I thought, this is gonna make me a better photographer if I really couldn't afford it. And so maybe it did like slow my artistic growth a teeny bit, but it was worth it to never, to always feel like my business was on track. Yeah, to be on a budget, be safe, and just yeah. have that in mind that you're not just getting crazy with your spending. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also came from a business-focused background at first. I was studying to be a CFP, and but I actually found photography pretty early and ended up kind of pivoting to marketing and just leaving the whole CFP hopes behind, so I never even finished that program. But uh, what would you say, do you think that that is actually probably one of the better things that you would suggest is going to school for business and then if you're interested in being a photographer? Yeah, I mean, being a photographer, I think I'm a good photographer. I think I'm a great photographer, but I definitely know that there are photographers with some magic in their soul Mm -hmm. with like just do these amazing work, can't book a wedding. Because work alone just won't get you there. And I'm not a marketing genius. I don't market myself. 
But knowing how to run a business so that you're not running a deficit and that you can pay your bills and you know how to pay yourself and you know how to pay your taxes. Yeah, you don't have to be a marketing guru. Just understanding the numbers alone will save most people from getting out of business. Exactly. And so I think knowing those basics, like even if you don't go get your degree in business, I think knowing how to run a business before you open a business is going to save you a lot of heartache. And I think a lot of people who go out of business, it's not because their skills weren't up to par. It's because they didn't know how to make it work mm-hmm. yeah, financially. I think especially those formative year one, year two, where you're so tempted to buy to learn, Everything. you're so tempted to buy gear because yeah. you see everybody else using the best that stuff. That lens I need is it going to make you a great yeah, photographer. I, mean, I, yeah. need, I need an F1.0 or, or F.95 <laughs> lens to be incredible. Yeah, I think during those formative years, your, your attention is actually better spent in learning business than 100%. anything. Yeah. As a parent, as a as a child of an immigrant, and and having high expectations as far as like achievement and what path of career that I was to go down, I you know it went from like oh Justin could be a doctor someday. I always got a you know I was my I had high grades in high school and went to college and uh, it was supposed to be computer science was my was my major and then turned into graphic design. <laughs> I, I love art and computers, Dad. That's a great one, right? Yeah, Mom, I'm going to make money doing and, this, I swear. And I didn't even finish my bachelor's degree. I spent way too much time in school, but didn't finish my bachelor's. And and I just completely underachieved in academia as an adult. Uh, but now think it's finally come full circle where mom and dad are so are worried about me and then the career aspect of it and so when did it become when did you get (laughs) that like pass from mom and dad like you did it (laughs) yeah um i would say the day i became a nikon ambassador was probably a big one okay Um, my parents so i've always been a little bit different in that a little different journey than you in that i've always really appreciated that like my parents crossed an ocean for me they gave up everything they know and i think about it now i'm 38 and I think about what my life was like when I was 25 and to have the presence of mind to be like this is what I grew up in this is where my family is but my future children will have a better life in this other country where I might not even be accepted but I'm going to go do that for them even though they don't even exist yet that's always always been on my mind and so nobody crosses the ocean for their children so that they can follow their dreams. <laughs> I, I think they, they do want you to follow so your they dreams. They want art. you to be happy, right? But when you come from poverty, when you come from nothing, I think there's a, you know how they say money can't make you happy? I think that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if everything else is fine, money can make you real happy. Money can buy you a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> and like stability is a factor in being happy, right? Like knowing that no one's going to take your house and no one's going to take your car and knowing you can feed your kids, like that these are all really important things and being happy. And so my parents definitely stressed a little when I started this business. And when they saw my $300 check, they were like, oh, cool. So that's one day. That's cute. <laughs> you did it once. Yeah. So, but when, when my dad had to help me with my taxes a couple years in, when I was in with Indian weddings and he saw the potential of what it could be, he started to kind of come around Um, The last couple years, even before I became an Icon Ambassador, um, they were definitely on board and they were were proud that they hadn't said it, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I don't know about your parents, but my parents generally aren't I love you, I'm proud of you types. Um, 
But when I got the Nikon ambassadorship, that was the first time my dad was like, I am so proud of you. Yeah. And I think, I think as a, as a p- child of an immigrant parent or immigrant parents, that when you can be self-made, yeah. it's an even like, oh, I could have been a doctor, but you know, I made my own awesome yeah. wedding business instead. So I think it's a bigger, like, as a, it's a personal point of pride even yeah. more yeah. than, She yeah. made this out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now they're, now they're super, now they tell everyone. Yeah. Now they're super proud. They tell everyone. And then that, and like Nikon, as such is such a like in in India it's such a big deal like yeah. Nikon it's like a big deal brand are I'm you like, a what? big deal in India no oh. I don't think so <laughs> uh, I was published in Vogue India recently ooh you're a big deal uh, in India yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I don't really know I, th- I know that like I have a decent following of Indian wedding photographers mm-hmm. in India I get a lot of like we want to work with you and I'm like I'm across the ocean yeah, <laughs> yeah. um would you ever consider doing one over there? Oh, I totally want to do one over there. My family is planning a big trip for December 2020. Okay. So we're going to spend about a month in India next year, which I'm like really, really excited for. We're going to see my family. My great uncle is turning 100 years old. And wow. It's going to be a big celebration. But, um, but yeah, I love to shoot there. I actually talk to my husband all the time because I think language is really important. It's a gift you can give your kids. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, my kids understand my language fluently, but since they're growing up here and their dad speaks English mostly with a teeny bit of Spanish, they um, don't answer me anymore in my language, even though they understand it completely. Yeah. So I've talked to Patrick before and been like, what if we live in America in the summer and then we move to India for the winter? He's like, yeah, my job is here. I'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so but I would. The b- majority of your weddings then are are Indian weddings. I mean, or at this point, sure? there are a hundred percent Indian weddings. Really? It was oh, okay. never the intention, and and I would say that only started last year. Um, until last year, I had at least one to four non-Indian weddings. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I think I've established myself in that community, and they book far in advance. And when they're booking me, when they call me, they already know they're booking. Like, so, so I, I'm fully booked for 2019, for 2020. Mm-hmm. So uh, now I'm at the place where I'll take one or two if, like, we really, really connect. Um, but, yeah, there's no room for anyone else because these weddings are planned so far in advance. Mm-hmm. And I now take limited weddings. And it's the full weekend, right? So you're, you're not four doing day? double, the double headers. Yeah. You're doing the four full. days normally? Yeah. How I much mean, variance do you see, like, between, like, four day, three day? Um, I would say every wedding is different, but half my weddings are at least two days. Okay. No, more than half. I would say three quarters are okay. at least two days. I can look this up in Tave later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Tave. <laughs> at least three quarters of my weddings are at least two days. And then I would say a good quarter are three to four days. Because I've done, I've done quite a few Indian weddings in the metro area, but we... I find that so many of them are actually Indian and then another culture. Yeah. So almost every one is like a revised version or a mixed one. And so I'm I live like, in I don't New even Jersey really know what the standards are. Where we got off the boat or the plane or whatever. And then we just like stayed. Yeah. So there. a lot of Indian people do find other Indian people. Mm-hmm. And like there's a really like our, we have a like a Swaminarayan temple community. We have ICA, which is like a big Indian cultural association. So like a lot of Indian people grew up. In America, but also in an Indian community. So we do have a lot of Indian weddings that where both people are Indian. Okay. So, yeah, even that, I shoot a lot of multicultural weddings, mm-hmm. but I shoot a lot of strictly Indian weddings. Now, how do you feel about, one of the things that I've always enjoyed versus a traditional American wedding, if yeah. you will, 
Um, I always felt like an American wedding is the couple putting on a show for the rest of everyone who attended, yeah. right? So your first dance, you're dancing for the people yeah. that came to the wedding, everything, the first kiss, the ceremony, cutting the cake, everything yeah. it seems like the couple putting on a spectacle. Yeah. Whereas I think Indian and a lot of other Eastern cultures, yeah. especially with like things like the Sangeet, yeah. it's it's complete role reversal. It's yeah, everyone everybody putting else is on a show for the couple. For the couple. Yeah. yeah, and how do you feel about like that changes your focus for the photography? So two things, um, everything currently, so I just lost my uncle. And so everything currently for me is through the lens of losing a family member, um, someone who I was very close to, who I love very much. And so now, right now, when I'm shooting these weddings, I have definitely gotten aggravated in the past mm -hmm. where I'll think, oh, I know you're important, but like, do all five million of you have to be right next to me right this <laughs> second? Like, squeeze the space. Yeah. Um, and now I am seeing it differently. And I think that my approach with the family will be different. Um, my approach with the family has always been to embrace them as family and mm -hmm. convince them that I'm part of the family. But I really, I think that I kind of kept that to immediate family and people who are super close in proximity even. And I think that I will in the future extend that a little bit so that even the aunties and uncles know like, look, I know you're important mm -hmm. and I want to capture you because I said this on stage for Nikon yesterday. I feel like no matter when we lose someone, we're always going to feel like we didn't take enough photos with them. And I just never want that, the photos I took at the wedding to be the things that are missing. And so going forward, I will be a stalker of all the aunties and uncles. Oh, yeah. um, but I love that Indian weddings are not just about the couple. Like they still cut their cake and have a first dance. But I love that even the ceremony is not just about them. Yeah, it's parents are right up there. Yeah. It's about everybody. Yeah. And it's about extended family. And it's about every and and it's about it's actually about two families coming together. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, my parents are moving in with me this year. And uh, I've had a couple American non-Indian friends be like, oh, no, I never live with my parents. Or yeah. uh, that's so codependent. Like, I, I'm just too independent to have my parents live with me. And I think that in America, independence is overrated as fuck. <laughs> independence, like, I, I'm not losing any independence by having my family around me all right. the time. Like, we take care of each other. And if I want to go do something, I go do it. I don't yeah. ask permission. Like, having my parents live with me does not mean I ask them for permission to do anything. No, you're not going back to your childhood. Right. Yeah. Like, what it is is that we always take care of each other. And, you know, like, you know when the crash happened and people were like, millennials are moochers. Uh in my culture, that's what you do. Like, yeah. you live with your parents until you're stable, and then they took care of you until you were stable, and then when it's time, you take care of them. And and there's nothing bad about, you know, taking care of each other. And so I love that about Indian culture, that everyone, you know, when my uncle passed away, everyone on Earth showed up. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter where they were from, they got on a plane and they showed up. Mm. And I think that... I wish more people were like that. I think everybody could take a lesson from that culture that, that like taking air, care of each other is a great thing. That's very true. I've been to, you know, you go to a standard American wedding and like somebody doesn't come because they had to work that night or whatever. Meanwhile, you go to an Indian wedding and every single family member got on a plane from, from every corner from of the planet. And they're there for all four days, and they're there at midnight, and they're there at 6 a.m. the next morning. Period. End of story. Yeah. And yeah. no one seems crabby about it. I photographed my first Indian wedding last year uh, after you know, after 150 weddings. You think you've seen it all. And then I never thought, like, I could 
I, I love weddings and I love the experience of getting to know people and showing them through the lens their their memories and who they are and romanticizing about it that way. But I didn't I, when I did my first Indian wedding, it struck me like it hit me in a very emotional way because I, I didn't like when they were doing the is it the Sangeet when they're when or what's when they're the Barat when they were doing the Barat yeah. Yeah, and I was just like I was just it was like so, I was so in the middle of it and and yeah like that whole proximity to people and they're and they're and, and you're like God everyone's in the way but they're also like <laughs> what ve- like, what vehicle did you have yeah oh the, he 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 had a golf cart <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but they they like they're like pushing me like go 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 like they're getting they they yeah. they want me to be in the middle of the mix and yeah. like and and I loved it but like. I got I got overwhelmed emotionally. I started to like tear, well up with tears because I felt this energy of like legacy happening yeah. with all these people coming, and it was like and it was like this like we're, we're dancing and we're and we're giving you like he's he's your gift, and then we're gonna come together. Like it just felt I felt like the the over like the whole the, all the circumstances around yeah. it came came became very apparent in that moment. Yeah, and I loved it. I was like, wow, I didn't think I had anything left to discover about wedding photography yeah. from an emotional experience through it, the lens. It's actually, Indian weddings for me beginning to end emotional like mm-hmm. i just uh i think at american weddings you have like the vows mm-hmm. if they do vows yeah right yeah, if they don't read do the them. standards yeah and at indian ceremonies you don't have the vows and mm-hmm. so when i was younger i thought like oh indian american weddings are so romantic they read vows to each other <laughs> and the indian weddings are so like kind of production-esque but it's not true it's it's not it's because if you look at a wedding as only the joining of these two people, then you feel like an Indian wedding is missing something. But if you look at if you look at it as like the joining of these families, the welcoming of mm-hmm. this woman into this new family and the welcoming of this man into this new family, like if you really see it as that, it's amazing. Every part of the ceremony is emotional. Every part means something. Like ha- there's a por- portion of the Hindu ceremony where your aunts come, your mom, your sisters, your aunt, all married women come and whisper in your ear advice for marriage. And it's uh, secretly the part where I get really emotional. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the part where I see my brides get emotional because they're being given this advice from their aunties and it's mm-hmm. like generational and it's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so more and more I see that like romance is not the only emotion that's important in a wedding. Uh, everything else. Your mic fell. I- Oh, I was like, like, what? Don't oh, wait. Sure. Oh, no. no. It was, I, I, I did you the same thing. Her hair, her hair came Your hair is covered. I thought it fell slipped behind your shirt. Sorry, I just no, you're a good. lot of hair, even mm-hmm. with it short. So, <laughs> you got enough for everyone at this table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're the, like, okay, so our entire oh, hey. so our entire Airbnb, there's five of us, <laughs> yeah. we're all bald and bearded. Yep. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and we're like, we got a guy who's Saudi Arabian. It's and then, an Airbnb. Yeah. You're bored, a bald and bearded. A bald and bearded. Bald and Airbnb, bald and, Airbnb, bald and yeah. beautiful. Airbnb, B&B. Yeah, so we've got a Saudi Arabian guy, we've got two white guys, we've got half a white guy, Korean, and we got a black guy. And like, we're all, yeah. like, it's like... The UN big, of bald and bearded. Like, uh, was it uh, United something of Benetton? The <laughs> <laughs> so as an exper- your, what's your experience like as a woman, a female photographer, and also a person of color? Uh, and, well, I guess I feel like... Weddings in industry would be totally different. Exp- yeah. yeah. Like, at weddings themselves, in the beginning when I started, people were just like who's this little girl? (laughs) (laughs) And I think there was definitely a a bit of a lack of trust because older Indian gentlemen were the people shooting you. Yeah. People can't see you, but you also look quite young too. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm 38, Mm. but I don't look my age. Mm -hmm. And when I started, I was 26, 
growing back. Okay. And I so didn't you look my age then either. <laughs> yeah. Did you have you yeah. always okay, like you have a very fiery energy about you. Yeah. And like yeah. did that did you like like you're a boss. Like I when if you talk, I listen and <laughs> like you don't take any shit. Like none. Did you have that initially? Always. Yes, yeah, so you've always I had I think like, I was born this way. Oh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish this was something I could tell people how to develop because I think it's good to be able to stand up for yourself and I think it's good to be able to stand up for others and I think it's good to not be afraid to use your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I was born this way. Um, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to yeah. teach it. You know? a There's a workshop idea. Yeah. <laughs> be born with it. Yeah. Workshop over. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. teach. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was like that even then and I don't take any garbage from anyone. So early on, I actually, I've had people hire me because they saw me handle like an auntie with an iPad and they're like, we saw you handle the crowd and we want you to come shoot our wedding because we need someone who can who can like handle a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And usually I'll be able to handle the crowd and make them happy about it. Like, like I'll like yell that's, at them and they're like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, a special gift. Yeah. Um, another thing I don't know how to teach. It's just like innate. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's been helpful at weddings when I have to assert authority that people are not used to uh, from a small Indian woman. Uh, I do still uh, run into challenges. Last year at a wedding, I got punched by an uncle. What? He got really angry that I asked him if he would please not stand directly behind me. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was like, you know, out of control drunk at 10 a.m. And um, and he took a swing at me. He missed and hit my arm, but it still, you know, uh, the shock of being hit, I lunged for him like I was the original gangster. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. Like, you're not going to hit me. Yeah. I'm not the one. Um, and then two, two people dragged him away, and I turned around, put the camera to my face, and I just kept shooting while I was sobbing. I was like, I have never actually cried in my life where my whole body was moving, maybe mm. when I was five. Right. <laughs> um, but I cried like that while I was shooting. And so th- it happens where people think that they can push me around, but it's not going to happen. Uh, and then I would say in the industry, I've been really lucky that to, to make really good relationships and make really good connections with people who immediately trusted me. And even though at the time early on, there were just like all white men who are kind of plastered on the billboards or plastered on the show boards or on the schedules for shows, um, they believed in me and they pushed for me. And so I've, I've been a part of making that change, like being the first woman of color to be speaking for a major camera brand has been really exciting, really fulfilling. And I take it as a big responsibility that I not be the only one for long. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard because you want to fix everything immediately mm-hmm. and nothing fixes overnight. Nothing right. changes overnight. So mm-hmm. you see things. And, and at the same time, I see people who, you know, maybe weren't convinced there was even a problem a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and they've come so long and they, they now want to change everything. And, and I'll see people be mad at them because mm-hmm. they haven't changed fast enough. Yeah. And it's hard for me. Not, it's hard for me because I, I do defend them because they are changing. And I think 
my role, and there's a, there's a role for everybody, right? I think there is a role for the people who like scream about the injustice, and I do that sometimes. But I also think there's a role for the peacemakers, and there's a role there's a role for everybody, and, and all all the roles have to be filled for us to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't look down on other people dealing with it different ways, but for me, being able to build the relationships and then use my voice to create change has been really cool. Yeah, I think representation is important in all in all industries, in our media, and you know, in our entertainment and politics and news, everything. And and even Nikon when has made a lot of great steps to oh get away from that image so because they had, they had a bad, they had some egg on their face a few years ago with representation. With the one ad, yeah. yeah. So ad. for the record, that was not Nikon USA. It was you, yeah, <laughs> Nikon, yeah. Nikon USA uh, didn't have anything to do with sure. that. Uh, but yeah, they, they've made a lot, I mean, they've always made me feel super welcome mm-hmm. and never like I was the token person, mm-hmm. you know? Because I, I think... Which is if, almost equally as bad. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Just feel like you're bought. For, yeah, you know, you're, for, you're filling you're, a you're, void. You're not you know? to pander to an audience. You you are to represent. You know, um, something that's missing. Yeah, right? and and I think there are people at Nikon who have always had my back that way, and always like they've just been so supportive that your work is good, and you you're able to reach people, and that's why you're here, and it's good because when there's a random internet comment where they're like, oh, I'm glad you checked the box. Uh, mm-hmm. I I have these people who support me and who tell me why they support me. And so I know that I'm not a checked box. I, And I think also just in general, and you might be able to attest to this, when you're a person of color, you know what it feels like when you're a checked box. You know mm-hmm. what it feels like when you're appreciated. You know, you know what it feels like. Yeah. And I know that I am welcome here. Yeah, step one, you're, you're talented. You're immensely talented. Like your work represents you first like that's where that's why you're an icon ambassador that's how i see it like, yeah. your work stands for itself yeah I, I don't ever feel like i've i'm in this weird middle space where like yeah. I, like my dad's white my mom's korean and and i don't think i've ever really been like disadvantaged at all for like the korean aspect of my life yeah. it's more of a curiosity than anything yeah but i also don't have representation if like there are no korean north dakotan photographers in the industry <laughs> that I, can, like, so, like, I, don't, I don't have that angle um, yeah. and, I, and i don't really like cling to like oh i'm so happy to see all these asian photographers like I, i'm like, yeah. in this weird spot where i don't my representation is odd so like i just kind of don't really you know get into it it's actually a weird thing too if you remove the if you remove the I'm the Indian photographer amongst non-Indian photographers. Mm-hmm. If you if you remove that, if you just look at it from a completely different perspective, I grew up in the Indian community in New Jersey, and so many of the people I grew up with are physicians or lawyers, or they work for banks, or they work for a pharmaceutical company because we live in New Jersey, um, and they're all on a professional career track. And it's exciting to be able to show that community that you can take the path untaken and be really successful. And that actually, we come from these communities where we, our parents demanded excellence from us. And so we're actually really primed to do things that we're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like going into this business with a business mind and with my dad's voice in my head probably helped me get a lot further than if I was like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna be an artist. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. strictly creative. Strictly creative, yeah. And so I think, I think being able to show people that 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 community that we there's a lot we can do is has also been really I think exciting. I think everyone you know not just any specific communities but I think like everyone needs to see that this uh, this traditional role is uh, kind of crumbling yeah a little bit yeah and there's definitely still room at the top I think there's always going to be doctors there's always going to be bankers yes. etc um, but there's uh, there's a lot of void in the middle you know we've seen that with our middle class kind of crumbling away yeah. um, that people are going to have to take these more 
self-built, self-paved paths if they're wanting to succeed, especially like in a really high level yeah. in a non-traditional manner. So I think anytime that you can be outspoken, I'm pretty sure my mom still doesn't understand my job <laughs> at do. all. Yeah, like not at all. I, she's like, so who are you working for now? I'm like, still no one. Still, <laughs> still me. Still, still my business no for a decade, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's even getting more confusing for her now that I'm like less uh, ser- photography as a service and more as an education. Like, she, who watches you? What? <laughs> you know, they just don't get it. Um, but I think that being said, I think it's like really important to be outspoken about those possibilities so that other people understand it. Because yeah. like we're really fighting against you know our school culture is completely built to make yeah. like cogs in a wheel, right? 100%. If you will, um, be quiet and listen and follow, yeah. do what you're told. That's yep. that's what everything school is like kind of designed for. So I think everyone needs to hear this. Yeah, I think this is gonna be. A, I think this episode is gonna be one of my favorite ones as far yeah. as all the topics we've covered. Yeah, this is way better than talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I think uh, before we wrap this up, um, how can we? I want. I want to make this. Uh, I want this to help people who are listening to, like maybe they're interested in Indian weddings. Yeah. What is something as a person who is an Indian who wants to get into that market and working with Indian family, cup families and couples? Yeah. Uh, what do you have any advice for someone? Like, like what's the best way to approach booking? So in the booking next year or two, I'll be writing a book. Oh, so okay. We oh, should read it when yeah, it's done. Right. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You make sure you update everyone. But um, in the meantime, I would say one of the biggest things you can do. And I think this is good advice, whether you want to shoot Indian weddings or any weddings or whatever you want to do, do not dive in head first, not knowing what you're doing. I assisted and held bags for my wedding photographer for a year before I dove into actually shooting something. And it helped me, I think, go from, I was never a middle, I was never a middle range photographer. I went straight from, you know, assisting to high-end weddings and uh, and, and I'm not saying everybody wants to do high-end weddings, but I think that that creates stability to know exactly what you're walking into. And so Indian weddings too, I would assist first. There are so many nuances and so many traditions that if you go in there and you miss something, you'll never shoot one again because they'll tell everyone and we all do know each other. That stereotype is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't want to miss things. You want to learn the culture, any culture, whatever you're shooting, learn it, like do your research. I... I'm curious more about your book. Your book is going to be about Indian weddings. Okay, yeah, beginning to end. I'm, uh, I had a I had a bride a few years back who yeah. gave me like she was I I'd never I've done Indian weddings, but she never I never really understood the ceremonies, yeah. the, the significance of it, and she gave me like a guide to Indian weddings for white boys. Like a, it was like a three page <laughs> thing, thing explaining each thing. I she made yeah. it. Yeah. It had like Google images and stuff and, and like what's happening. Oh, and then she could be from a different region and yeah, it could be, so, it's regional too. So yeah. it's very regional. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the book will cover all the majority regions that um, that are represented in America because if you go to India there's even more. Yeah. Um, but in America there tend to be um, a couple of regions that have migrated here specifically that uh, are the bulk of the weddings that you would shoot. There is no way for anybody to... So as much as I say, go learn about the culture, and you should, there's no way for you to know everything. So one one important factor in shooting an Indian wedding is keep your camera to your face and don't chimp because you just don't know what's going to happen. I'm Gujarati, and a lot of the weddings I shoot are Gujarati, and so I know Gujarati weddings inside and out. And still there will be surprises where somebody says, well, in my family, we do this. Yeah, because so many little minor traditions. Yeah, and so you just always, you know, my cousin's wedding, when she got married, I saw it was a middle-aged white man who I guess hadn't really shot Indian weddings before. And right after the ceremony, he was like, 
wandering outside and gotten it. He didn't shoot the Vidai. The Vidai is when the bride is crying and leaving her family. Yeah. He was gone because he just, he didn't even, he didn't ask. He wasn't present. Um, and yeah, so that, that sucked that we, that was the only time I've ever seen that uncle cry and mm. nobody got it. Oh, and man. I was furious. Uh, but, but things like that, like, you know, just be present. Do not leave the family's side. Do not leave the couple's side until the couple gets in a car and drives away from you. Mm-hmm. Stay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing about, it's taking some time. I'm a yeah, there's busy. probably a lot of nuance here. <laughs> yeah, you're very busy, so. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast. Real quick, before we go, go ahead and shout out anything else you got going on. I'm going to be speaking at Kenmore Expo November 2nd and November 3rd. I don't know if this will be live by then. Um, And then I will be at Hustle and Heels in April next year and Midwest Gathering. Yeah, that's in my head. Oh, my God. All right. Well, yeah. So I'll be speaking in Detroit at Midwest Gathering in 2020. Um, And then I assume you'll see me at like WPPI and CES. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Charmy Pena, C-H-A-R-M-I-P-E-N-A. Thanks for chatting with us. Three Eagle Peace. Peace. (laughs)